That's one of EI's members in New Zealand and it organizes early childhood and primary teachers as well as education support personnel in early childhood, primary and secondary. And what we're going to discuss here is really education support personnel. Who are they? What do they do? And why do we hear so little about them? Okay, well, we've just been at a two-day task force to try and address just those questions. Uh, education support personnel are a very broad category of people that are part of the education workforce. Um, we're talking, we've, we've tried to identify job families here, things like security, bus drivers, canteen workers, education, in-class support, um, librarians, computer techs, and then we have um, roles like psychologists, therapists, nurses, guidance counsellors, healthcare workers. So um, in New Zealand we often call them the silent army but they are a, a huge group of, um, huge part of the education workforce that really make sure schools and educational institutions can operate but also that children um, are supported to be able to learn. So you've sort of got I guess an infrastructure side of things that keep systems and processes and very complex um, institutions running and then you've got the people that have I guess the, the people focused skills that deal with the needs of students to ensure that they can learn. Um, we often talk about the fact that you students don't, don't just turn up to school or early childhood education and, and leave their home life at home. They still need support for whatever language yeah. they speak in, they still need their culture recognised, they still have health concerns, they still need nutrition dealt with, those sorts of things. So um, obviously that's a lot more than a teacher could do on their own, so ESP are really a critical part of the workforce. But why is it then, I mean listening to the list of professionals, of education mm. support personnel, how is it that they remain so invisible in the broader public debate about education systems and how to really ensure equality? It's a really good question. I think I can best reflect on what we know in New Zealand and it's very much a, everyone knows that you go to school and you have a teacher. Everyone's experienced going to school having a teacher. So we understand teachers, we understand the planning. It's a very obvious role, although it's an evolving role as well. But um, in New Zealand and certainly the countries around the world I've visited and looked at it similar, it's an area that's sort of evolved in quite an ad hoc way. Often there's been little workforce planning or development and frequently, and you, this is definitely typical of New Zealand, you see that schools and early childhood centres have created roles or found people to do work that may not have been planned for or funded because they've identified need. So it's, it's a group that's evolved because of need, not necessarily because of deliberate planning and support. And you certainly see that in the way um, in many education jurisdictions, schools are funded. There's, there's different funding for teachers than there are for ESP roles. Yeah, over the past two, two days in the task force, there was a lot of discussion about exactly emerging roles mm. and how, for instance, different support for 
children with special mm. educational needs is really a growing area mm. in, in many, mm. many parts of, of the world. How are systems then responding to this? Is there a, a preparedness to, to work with ESP, to really have consistent policy on ESP? I actually think we're in an exciting time when systems are starting to realise they need to. Mm. Um, in many cases you see there are certain roles that's very easy to understand and certain roles that are very clear and overt, like support for special needs, the obvious ones like administrative support in schools and things like that. But there's a whole lot of other roles that, um, as you talk, people have developed, schools have developed on a case-by-case basis. So I think l- talking to colleagues on the task force and looking at other systems and reflecting on our own, we're at an emerging time, I think, of at a system level, governments and education ministries realising they need to do some planning, some training, that there are yeah. specific roles. So on the, the task force, we've talked about in different jurisdictions how many different roles there are. And I think yeah. the fact that you know we can identify over 200 in New Zealand, um, in Quebec they had 82 or 3. You know, they're probably not 82 or 3 and 200 really distinctly different roles, but they probably reflect that 82 or 200 people have plans these quite ad hoc roles so certainly in New Zealand we've been aware we need to do more sort of systems level planning about what the needs of education are um, to keep the the system functioning to ensure children can actually learn. That's incredible though a silent army of over 200 (laughs) different job categories. What's the if you look at the current situation and the way public systems would respond to this Mm. rather challenging Mm. situation and the role of of private actors. How how does this play out? I think uh, in New Zealand and certainly other places we've talked about too, there are some roles that the public system expects to provide and that's Mm. probably the roles that are closer to um, the classroom basically, you know, the the in-class support, teacher aides, learning assistants, Um, roles like librarians that you can very closely link, I guess, to teaching and learning. Often we see other roles that maybe haven't been understood as contributing significantly to children's ability to learn being contracted out or not really thought about. So I'm thinking of things like bus drivers or canteen workers, um, groups like that that actually, and you hear our members and you hear people that work in those saying, I'm just a bus driver, I'm just a canteen worker, and We've worked very hard to say get people to reflect on the fact that no, you make a very significant contribution to children's learning. If they can't get to school and then they're hungry, we guarantee that no learning is happening, at least not in the school context and not in the way it needs to be. So I think um, some of those sort of roles are considered purely on a cost basis. How much does yeah. it cost us? And decisions are made on the basis of finance rather than maybe a richer look at how does it contribute to children's learning? You know, what sort of Ride do they need to school? Are they healthy and safe? How are social interactions being thought about? What happens when you get to the school? How do you deal with health and safety? If you're thinking of bus drivers, you know, it's we're dealing with children and they're very dynamic human beings at an interesting stage of their growth. If you're thinking of a canteen worker, what will children actually eat? Yeah. You know, it's a phase of life. What do they need to eat? What suits their growth and development patterns? You know, what are the dietary needs? Are many um, 
schools are very multicultural now. That brings yeah. with it a huge um, array of different dietary needs and food preferences. So it's very easy on the one hand to say, well, it costs X amount to feed children or get them to school or keep the computer systems going. But there's a lot of other factors that need to be considered if we're thinking about how we best equip children or support children would be a better word to be ready to learn, to be able to learn. Is this an understanding, I'm, I'm thinking what you're talking about is in many ways mm. a kind of whole school, whole child, mm. whole, stu- whole student approach to, to education. And I'm wondering if it's the case that some of the education unions also have things to learn when it comes to how we address education mm. support personnel and whether we are able to see beyond the fact that at first mm. sight some will think of them as non-teaching mm. yeah. staff yeah. and possibly nothing but that. Well, what's the advice to, to education unions in this regard? I think we all have something to learn and something to reflect on. I think it's to think, we know that successful education, or successful learning occurs when a lot of different factors are taken into account. You know, we're, We now have a sophisticated understanding of yeah how learning happens, what it takes to make it happen, and we know that it's more than just teachers. I know that in some countries just the battle to get teachers in front of children is so significant that it's understandable that that is a priority, but um, where that isn't the, you know, I mean, I think everywhere in the world it's a little bit of a battle, but some jurisdictions are far more developed, so it is definitely possible to think what is the, rather than what is teaching what does it take to support teaching? What does it take to support learning? And that's quite a different question because that does make you have to think of the whole child. And I think the task force has very much focused on that angle of learning rather than teaching. Support staff are not just there to support teachers, they're there to support education or support learning. And if you start taking that lens or that focus, that does change how you view the workforce in education and maybe how you think about um, how they're, you know, the basic things, how they're recruited, employed, what terms and conditions, but also how they're supported, yeah. what they need to know, you know, that's it's a two-way street. We think ESP need better recognition and support, but the reason they need better recognition and support is not just a fairness for them reason, but they work with children. They work with our most vulnerable citizens every single day. Are they equipped? Have they, they had the professional development, the support? Do they have the knowledge, the skills to deal with children and their development and their education. But so, so how does it then work in practice? Uh, assuming that many of the education support personnel, while being expected mm-hmm. to be fellow educators, they may never have had any support, any training as to how mm. to, I'm thinking for instance, prevent bullying Mm. or step in as a custodian Mm. when Mm. there is a bullying situation Mm. or even as a bus driver, all the dynamics that Mm. happen on the way to school already. What kind of of support structures are there for education support personnel? Well, this is where we find it's very, very, very ad hoc and Mm. very different depending where you are in the world, where you are in any given country. Um, talking with colleagues from the United States, the two big education unions there, I'm both aware, run quite comprehensive programs of training and support around some of those areas. The particularly um, dealing with bullying and things like that is a big issue that yeah. 
is grappled with that they work to provide training. Um, I think is a very gross generalization, but probably quite accurate. Training doesn't often occur in the way it could in a systematic way. Having said that, there's also can be a misconception that these people aren't trained and qualified. A lot of people that uh, get classified as ESP are trained and qualified. Um, I can't remember exact statistics, you'd need to talk to people with states, but it's over 70% of people who are certificated for the role that they're in. So um, through to... Oh, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. so there's a, on the one hand, we know that people would like better and more comprehensive professional development to suit their roles. On the other hand, um, there are jurisdictions where there's high levels of qualification or certification mm. and um, highly professionalised parts of the, the workforce as well. You know, if you're thinking of educational psychologists and therapists and people like that, that's a very highly qualified, skilled part of the workforce. And probably, I'm, I'm assuming as well, I mean, going back to what you said about the diversity of education mm. support personnel, I'm assuming for some of these job categories, it will be easier to be seen as part mm. of the education mm. community, such as the school psychologist yeah. or the librarian or the school secretary, while others might challenge more to be find it more challenging to really find a place yeah. in that job community. It's where I think you see a lot of crossover too with other communities. So a psychologist might see themselves more as a health part of the health sector, mm. reaching into the education sector. Um, they may, there may be crossover. We know things that are most effective when they're integrated and well aligned. Um, and we're definitely seeing moves towards that in some places they call them community schools or hubs where they've realized that in some cases, and we've seen this in New Zealand, it's not just about educating the whole child, it's about understanding the family grouping that yeah. the child came from and meeting their needs and supporting them. You know, one school I did a little bit of work studying in New Zealand was teaching helping parents get their driver's license because they realized they couldn't oh, yeah. get their kids to school. Their kids couldn't learn if their parents couldn't drive and support them. So I think um, some of the groups don't clearly identify with the education community, but the education community needs them to be well integrated and aligned. Yeah. Other groups, to go back to your original question, um, do find it very hard to. Yeah. I think trying to talk about ESP as one single grouping is very difficult. We've, yeah. we've started trying to talk about the education workforce and even maybe that's a bit narrowing if you don't see yourself as part of the education workforce but you're in a, an allied profession that contributes to learning. So it's a very complex emerging kind of area of thinking yeah. and it's a very, very broad spectrum of roles, professions, trades, vocations, all sorts of things going on in there. But it's interesting because it seems to me that looking at the kind of global landscape mm. of education policy mm. making, we are, as you said, we are becoming better at understanding mm. the links between education and health, mm. for instance. Mm. Going back to what you said yeah. about the canteen and yeah. what kids yeah. get to eat at yeah. school and whether they'll be able to learn or whether mm. they'll sit there hungry and unable to focus yeah. and and there's all these discussions about sustainable development and global citizenship mm. and really mm. The, mm. the expectations towards education systems to really deliver on so many different fronts mm. which should place education mm. support personnel at the very center <laughs> of all of yeah. this and yet it's not reflected mm. in the education budgets mm. Quite the no. opposite, yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm wondering, over the past year we've seen um, the uh, International Commission on Financing Education Opportunity and their recommendations, one of which was about strengthening the workforce. H how do you see such a, a recommendation? What are the kind of threats and opportunities in, in their thinking? I think it's a very good starting place. Yeah. They themselves noted that there's very little research or evidence looking at, and we know that in New Zealand as well, about the role. I think in the report they talk about tasks that need to be taken off teachers and there's certainly some tasks that teachers need to not be doing or that would be better suited to being done by someone else to free them up to focus on teaching and learning. But I think it's important to think maybe more about education and learning than specifically just teaching so that we, yeah. um, if you think about educating a whole child you're not just trying to lift their reading and writing scores and their maths outcomes and things like that, you're actually trying to think what does it take to develop them as a person to reach exactly. their potential. So I think as long as the focus is on what sort of roles do we need, I think diversifying the workforce and formally thinking about it is a, you know, we're at that time that that is the next major stage of evolution in this, this area. But it's important that we do it around what really makes a difference to children's learning. And that brings us back to that fundamental question of the purpose of education. So my, I guess the threat is if we focus narrowly on tasks and narrowly on how they need to, you know, score data scores basically. Or the opportunity is to talk about the fact that education is a rich, diverse process that, you know, um, Sustainable Development Goal talks about lifelong learners. I think yeah. this is, a, you know, setting yourself up for lifelong learning is helping people to um, develop at their own pace, feel comfortable and confident taking risks because that's how you learn, you know, addressing challenges, those sorts of things, not trying to meet an external sort of set of objectives. So I think if we can have that conversation about what diversifying, and that's a very big, rich, broad conversation. It brings in a lot of other conversations as well, a lot of other things that need looking at. That is the, the role. And then looking at, I guess, the needs of students in education and the understanding the contribution that can come and how the roles work together. I think that's the critical thing. We need teachers and we need well-supported teachers, but we need to understand that teachers are our part, not the part of the, the education workforce. And these other roles have to be carefully thought through yeah. and planned. In some cases, it's an expertise that we need to be aware of. And then we need to work out, is that a teaching expertise? Is that a expertise that needs to be held by someone else supporting that practice? So the challenge of uh, being guided by the right thing, focusing on how Absolutely. we as an education yeah. workforce support yeah. education yeah. and, and yeah. learning, rather than looking at mm. how we cut costs and find kind yeah. of cheaper teachers. Yeah. And how do you evaluate or assess that? That's a very big yeah. discussion. And I think often we won't, if they're life, we're talking about lifelong learning, it's going to be years down the track. So. Yeah. Great. Anything else that the world should know about education support personnel before we wrap up? That's <laughs> Where do Huge I start? question. That's a massive question. I think, um, I think just the important thing is to be thinking about the contribution that they make. And, and the reason they make a contribution is because there's a need. And, and having that conversation, I think the most important thing in this is thinking about um, students and their learning and the 
um, complexities of that, the, the, all of the supports yeah. and infrastructure and people and inputs and things they need to learn. And the inputs, inputs aren't purely from a teacher. And that's, I think if we keep remembering that, we keep thinking about that, we keep thinking about how these roles interact with teaching and learning and with teachers, sometimes not the same thing, um, that's, that's really critical. It's, it can be easy, I think, for people in this area to feel marginalised or to compare themselves as teachers, and it's really yeah. important to not set up that sort of um, dichotomy, I guess, teachers or education support workers, but to start talking about an education workforce and um, how all of the roles interact with each other and work together around supporting children. Exactly. I love the way you talked about the silent army. <laughs> and, uh, and given the fact that EI's uh, task force on education support personnel really much mm. is about making more noise yeah, about yeah, yeah. education support yeah. personnel, I'm yeah. sure we're going to get back to uh, education support personnel and all the different issues and challenges related to that. Mm. Not to mention the opportunities. There's many I think we've uh, identified yeah. quite a few. Yeah. So looking yeah. forward to continuing the conversation Thank and you. thanking you guys for listening. Talk to you soon. Bye. Kakite. This was Ed Voices from Education International in Brussels on the web at ei-ie.org.